Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Hey, Bone Bat Show listener. I'm Greg, one of the many hosts of the Backroom Comics podcast, a weekly show about comics and comic culture. So glad that you're listening in and checking this out, but you're missing out on half the fun of the Backroom Podcast where you can actually see our smiling faces. You can find us in one of three feeds on iTunes, or you can see our episodes on the backroompodcast.com and uh, check out exclusives there or on Facebook. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the Bone Bat Show, and hopefully you'll enjoy our show as well. Digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. This is Larry from Pelican, and you're listening to Bone Bat. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bone Bat Show, episode 45. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. Yeah? Dude, I tell you, I've, I've had all these 
all these LPs that got moved to my garage. Remember back when I had a flood in my house? LPs is in long playing records? Long play vinyl records. Okay, so back when I had the flood in my house and then we, we, re, we did the remodeling downstairs and with the new setup downstairs, there was really no place that my lovely wife wanted to have my LPs stored because they take up a they do. chunk yeah. of space. And honestly, I, I wasn't really listening to them anyway, and I, I didn't even have the, the pornograph set up, uh, phonograph set up. <laughs> so they've been in the garage, and summer's coming. I'm like, you know, they spend the summer in the garage. They're just going to be molten. Yeah, so sure. I, I just said, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to sell my LPs. So I loaded them all into the van, took them downstairs, downtown, and it's been raining off and on, and the, we just got a break in the rain, so I took it to the, the comic book slash record store slash game store I was going to sell them at, and I, I had, like, this big stack of them. I, I had, like, a quarter of my records just, you know, holding this giant pile of records, walking down the block to get to this place, and hoping the rain doesn't start again. Get across the street, try not to drop anything, and this, this yippy-skippy... Uh, college kid just pops out in front of me with a clipboard. He's like, hi, do you have five minutes for the environment? <laughs> I look at him. I'm like, do I look like a guy that's got five minutes for the environment? You're carrying and 75 gotta, pounds worth of plastic. Dude, I'm, I'm carrying like 75 pounds of petroleum byproduct wrapped in dead trees. Okay? I don't have five minutes for the environment right now. Come on. So I'm in a good mood because I I crapped all over him. <laughs> there you I go. mean, not literally. I was carrying records. Couldn't. Can you make any money off records anymore? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I sold my records and got like 150 bucks, which Sweet. is That's 150 not bad. bucks more than I had. Cool. Well, speaking of people selling music, uh, tonight we are listening to a band from Chicago, Pelican. Pelican. Kind of a You're... instrumental. I don't really know, you know, categories. Uh, they're kind of hard to pigeonhole. Hey, some call them post-metal. Are we going to go with the bird metaphors all night long? Post-metal? But I, what the fuck does post-metal mean? I don't even know. So I, I kind of consider it heavy music that you can chill to. See, it's, I figured post-metal was something that you'd you know, use on a fence if you're out of wood. Yeah, especially if you're using building a barbed wire fence. But that's yeah, what we're talking about right now. Fence, we're talking about some excellent music from Band Pelican. Uh, we're going to listen to some tunes. Uh, this first tune is called The Creeper that you've been enjoying. And uh, we'll listen to a few more. And also we will be speaking with uh, drummer Larry Herwig of the band a little bit later. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Word? Word. So, dude, Bone Bat Film Festival. We have another sponsor this week, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. So we it, love our sponsors. In addition to Flying Saucer Pizza and Mac and Jack's Brewery, who else is joining us? Oh, tell me. Tell me. GT Printing Equipment. Oh, those guys rock. Wait a minute. That's my company. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. GT Printing Equipment for all your equipment needs. If it's printing presses and, you know, large industrial machinery type stuff. Awesome. So. Sprung that on me. I didn't know you were going to do that. Yeah. I just... I, you know, we got to talk about our sponsors. We're uh, working on this badass film fest, so That's tickets right. are available now. They're already selling. We've had a few sales, so uh, go to bonehand.com and get your tickets today for the September 2nd event. It's going to be great. Dude, this is in September, and people are already buying tickets. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's really cool. I love it. Because if you're like me, you put things off to the last minute, and then you miss out. 
Absolutely. So don't be me. <laughs> so, so, dude, I gotta. I know you enjoy language and playing with language a little I bit. I do. I'm a cunning linguist. And my, my son is starting to get a little bit of a vocabulary, but it's kind of funny, like, words that he'll, he'll confuse that I wouldn't have thought of are confusing. So the other night we're at dinner, and his older sister's kind of giving him a hard time about something. And I turn to her and I say, Allie, don't nag your brother. Illuminate him. And Thad says, well, that's not very nice. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, why would you eliminate me? And it never occurred to me that illuminate and eliminate are very similar. They are, along with elucidate. I know. Isn't that kind of interesting? Because I was I like, hallucinate. no, no, no. I didn't mean she should get rid of you. I meant she should teach you something. So it was kind of interesting. But and then so we're That's where we derive most of our humor, really. Words that sound alike but mean dick. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. You know? So what else? What else is he uh So the other thing, it was kind of funny, we were in Target on Saturday and uh there's this woman in the line behind us and she's got like the the big ass super soaker. (laughs) I thought you were leaving that with just big ass. (laughs) No, she didn't have that at all. But she had the big ass super soaker. And so, you know, she says to the kids, do you think that this would be a good birthday present? And Thad's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And she said, oh, gee, do you have one like this? And he says, no, he is. You know, we have a smaller one, but we don't have one that big. She says, well, you should get one because I got hit by one like this one time and it hurt my leg. And so we're walking away and Thad turns to me and says, she should have taken evasive maneuvers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just like. Well, yeah, she should have. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like she was an idiot, you know, for not being more evasive. So anyway, I'm impressed with the kids' vocabulary. What can I say? It's so great when your kids whip out the $3 word like that. You just go, yeah, very good, sir. That, that always makes me happy. <laughs> so, dude, did you see dude. the news today that there's some British company that is releasing porn for the blind? Not only did I see the news today about that, I saw it yesterday and emailed it to you. You did? Yes. Oh, man. I must have missed so it. Went, yeah. I, I didn't see but, it until Julie sent it this morning. But anyway, yeah, I, I, is it just it. me or is it ironic that somebody is coming out for pornography for an affliction that you get by using too much pornography? <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah. You, you know, you play with yourself too much, you go blind. You're already blind. You play with yourself too much. Do you go deaf next? Oh, shit! Oh, <laughs> That's what happened to you! That, that just dawned so on me, dude. Oh, you're not <laughs> funny at all. I had no idea, dude. <laughs> yeah, actually, not a lot of people can get to that level. But <laughs> it's kind of like playing Call of Duty. You know, you level up a certain amount, then you go to the prestige level. That's me. You keep expecting perks, though. Yeah, well, I, I perk <laughs> off quite a bit, so. <laughs> All right. In fact, I've just perked right now. (laughs) So, dude, what pisses you off? Dude, you know what pisses me off? This is what pisses me off. I had a meeting scheduled. I had to go look at a printing press because that's what GT Printing Equipment, proud sponsor of the Bone Bat Film Festival, does. Mm -hmm. And the guy, the guy's out in, like, Tennessee or something. And he says, okay, the press you got to look at, the press you want to buy is in San Francisco. I'm like, all right, cool, San Francisco, right down the road. It's maybe an hour and a half drive. It's a great place. I love it. I got a lot of friends down there. So maybe I'll go see a friend, buy him lunch while I'm down there. If nothing else, cool restaurants, cool place to be. I mean, I just I genuinely enjoy being in the Bay Area. And not just 
San Jose or Oakland. I mean, it's San Francisco. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. So I'm figuring, got this three hours on the road maybe and going there and I'm, I'm happy. Well, we come down to the short strokes to give me the address and the address is actually not San Francisco proper. It's fucking Fresno. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with this part of the world, Fresno is not an hour and a half away from me. It's about three hours away from me. And it's not a nice place. It's kind of like the Detroit of Northern California. <laughs> it's, it's fucking awful. And it's near absolutely nothing. It's near nothing that you want to be near. So this, I mean, the difference is it's kind of like someone going, Hey, Gord, I need you to spend about three hours with my hot cousin. She's really funny, and sometimes her clothes fall off. You know, all right, yeah, I can do that. And then, she, and then when you get ready to do it, they're like, "Oh, actually, I said my cousin, but you got to spend eight hours with my grandpa, and he's incontinent, and uh, you're going to need to change the bandaid that covers his butthole." <laughs> it's just, dude, such a letdown. I'm sorry so, to hear that. I'm going I'd to like Fresno, to it pisses me off. I just and like if you to, have any listeners in Fresno. I'm sorry, but I'd like to take you, a moment to apologize bit. to our Fresno listeners. <laughs> <laughs> People in Stockton used to live in Fresno. <laughs> they moved there because it's an improvement. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, nothing so like what pisses you off. Nothing like inside California jokes. Yeah, all three <laughs> of Northern California listeners are giggling into their beer right now. Oh, into their okay. Lagunitas IPAs. So, you know what pisses me off? Is what? This is kind of a inside podcasting sort of a deal, but uh, we've had some problems with our voicemail. We have. Now, we are signed up with this company who does kind of free voicemails for basically the entire podcasting world. And it's a pretty sweet deal because you get a free phone number that people can call and make phone calls to for your voicemails. But the bad thing is, if you don't get any calls for a month, then basically they just kick the number back into the pool and you lose the number. So the number that we used to have and had for like a year and a half, two years, is now completely gone. So we, we hit this dead spot, and no one called in, and we lost our phone number? Right, and then on top of that, I'm on the show saying, hey, call us under our phone number, blah, 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 because I didn't bother <laughs> checking. So not only does that suck, then on top of it, I'm kind of an idiot. And didn't didn't you screw up our podcast like two days after it went live? Oh, don't and then, even, like, don't even start it. Off the, the, internet. the last show was cursed, dude. That, <laughs> the last show had so many problems. It, I, I don't know what it was, but it won't happen again. I should hope not. Yeah, anyway. So we have you know, a, this the, is still going to show up in your annual review. <laughs> thanks. So uh, the upshot of all this is we've got a new voicemail number, 425-296-6557. So give us a call there. And uh, actually, someone already has. So uh, let's take a listen to a voicemail. All right. You know what pisses me off? Hey, this is Nick Pierce from the Little Dead Podcast. What pisses me off is when somebody asks you to call a phone number and then you call it and you get a message saying that that person is unavailable. Oh, and I hate podcasts that are constantly begging people to call their comment line. You know, it's kind of weak. By the way, call my comment line, 206-338-0665 and leave me a message. Later. We need to call McPierce. That guy is a funny cat. And I really love that show, A Little Dead Podcast. If I listened to podcasts, I would totally listen to his show. <laughs> It's a kind of show that it's right up your alley. It's a lot like kind of, you know, sort of what we do. He, he covers a lot of ground, a lot of stuff that he likes. And uh, his musical taste is just impeccable. It's like about 80% of the stuff he plays is in my collection. 
So he plays a bunch of Swedish death metal? No, not so much, but the other stuff. He played Clutch. There we go. Yeah, he plays just great, great music. So, yeah, check out Little Dead Podcast. It's awesome. And speaking of which, uh, he called back again. Hey, guys, Nick Pierce here. I wanted to follow up on my previous phone call about what pisses me off. You know what pisses me off? What really pisses me off? I'll tell you what pisses me off. What pisses me off is spending a weekend doing studying for my Calc 3 class, getting caught up on my studies, getting caught up on my homework, sitting down finally after, you know, all of that studying and reading and just, you know, burning my brain out, sitting down to let my brain recharge, picking up my Xbox 360 controller, starting my 360 and having the game lock up, and then when I reboot the 360, because it's locked up two or three times over the last week, when I reboot the 360, seeing no, not the red ring of death, that would have been at least something, you know, definitive. Instead, getting three blinking red rings. In other words, a different general hardware failure. You know, that really pisses me off because this is the end of a day and a half of intense studies. Just finally getting a chance to relax and unwind and my 360 die. That pisses me off like you would not believe. But what makes me happy? I called Xbox or I called Microsoft and they said even though I'm out of warranty, they'll still fix my uh, console for free and give me a one month extension on my Xbox Live account. So while I'm pissed that I'm going to go three weeks without my 360, I'm happy that when it comes back, I've got an additional month. So I'll be going towards the end of next year before I, uh, I have to renew my account. All right, guys. Love the show. Talk to you later. Bye. Oh, man. And you know no. what? That could have a happy ending for him, though, too, because if they go through it and fix whatever... You know, that may even, if there was a danger of a red ring later on, maybe that'll just take care of everything. So, Yeah, I don't think they really do it that way. I think what they do is they take his Xbox and they see what's wrong with it, and then they send him another box. Not necessarily his Xbox. Because when I sent mine in for his problem, they got me a box back pretty quick, but it was not the same box. Did you put like a little mark on it or something? Yeah, I put just a dollop of jizz on it, and then I tested the dollop of jizz that came back on it. You know, with a little DNA test kit, and it was yours. That's <laughs> it a, was a, that's a neat box, trick, because I neither work for Microsoft nor have ever sent in my Xbox, so I'm kind of Yeah, impressed. but there was that time when you were selling your jizz online, and I think it's out there everywhere. But yeah, I, I actually had a problem with my Xbox last week. It, like, wouldn't read discs all of a sudden. And man, I was... Talk about crestfallen. Because yeah, I, I was, I was like, just getting ready to go into the last mission of Mass Effect, oh. the final push, and all of a sudden, but the Xbox won't read shit. I put like five discs in, I put games in, I put DVDs, wouldn't read any of them. And then I kind of, you know, looked around, tried to blow some dust out of it, um, and then all of a sudden it just started. It would read this, but it wouldn't read that, and then all of a sudden it was fine. Huh. So I don't know if it's if it was just like a chunk of dust that got on the lens and took a little bit to get it off, or if it's, you know, kind of teetering on the edge of failure. But either way, uh, you, that's kind of just disheartening when that happens, man. Yeah, when mine went down, it was so sad. It came back. Have you had any trouble with it at all since you got it back? No, I've had no trouble with it since I got it back. Knock on wood. Well, that's a good thing. All right, have so- I ever said that we, I have deja vu when we're doing this show? No. Because I'm like having a real sense of deja vu like right now. 
Like, oh, wow. I, I totally dreamt this before. That's we'll, weird. We'll capture it, man. <laughs> capture it. Capture it right here on tape. We got okay. this. Okay. This this was the moment. That moment. Pretty mundane, huh? It's kind of weird. All right. What's what's next on this show? Let's keep things moving. Let's leave my psychic you, aura out of this. You got a <laughs> psychic aura. Do you have a, a political rant this week? Yeah, I got a political rant this week. This is sort of California. No, this is not sort of. This is California based. So if you're outside of California, just bear with me. It won't last long. I promise. There's a big gas and electric company out here called PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, and they used their massive pile of money to bankroll an initiative, got it on the ballot, and now we're voting on it. Prop 16. What it does is it's if it's passed, it will take a two-thirds vote of the electorate before a public agency can enter into the retail power business and several other things like that. Essentially, right now, a city, a municipality, a county can decide, hey, we don't like getting really expensive energy from PG&E and next door over there in Sacramento at SMUD we could get the same electricity and gas for a lot less if we all vote on it and it's a majority vote we can go over to them screw you PG&E or anyone else sure. and PG&E says whoa let's change that let's make it so a majority isn't going to be enough you have to have a two thirds majority in order to make any changes in your energy uh provider so and then they're selling this thing as they're protecting our right to vote and they're protecting cheap energy for us <laughs> which is that? just the biggest orwellian wait what so i don't know how eliminating majority rule is protecting my right to vote and i don't know how keeping me locked into expensive energy when i could i'm buying the most expensive energy that's for sale in california right now as it is is protecting my cheap energy supply but they're, they're kind of feeling the fear because so many groups are getting pissed off at getting raped by PG&E on their bill that counties, cities are starting to just, you know, buy blocks of energy on their own or go, you know, build a cogen plant or something and make some make some electricity or use the uh, gas generated by the dump to to make gas and sell that to their, their locals. And PG&E is going, whoa, 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 let's stop that right now. And they've got money falling out of their ass. They bankrolled this thing already to the tune of something like $28 million. And their CEO makes $10 million a year, so you know they got all kinds of cash to spend on it. No organized opposition has emerged. It's just a whole bunch of little guys going, wait, what? That doesn't sound right. So we can only hope. With that kind of money at their disposal, though, they can, they can tell you black is white. Enough people might believe it. I'm a little, I'm a little worried. But that's that's my California political rant. My big more macro political rant, something everyone can relate to. Am I the only guy that's getting tired of the Catholic Church and these priests buggering little kids and then them treating it like it's some sort of bureaucratic snafu? This is this is really starting to chat my balls. I mean, for a long time I've I've given them a kind of a break because they do do a lot of good, just thinking the common sense, the wheels of justice will grind forward, but look at it like this. If you had a burger shack, Bob's Burger Shack, and you had burger shacks in numerous cities, and you had a problem with one of your burger shack managers raping little kids, would you call corporate and say, what should we do? No, you'd call the cops. And if you were corporate, would you say, whoa, let's move him to a different Bob's Burger Shack? 
where he can no. rape different kids. You'd fire him. Yeah. No, you, you throw these people in jail. You, you, if nothing else, you fire them. Why these guys are still hemming and hawing and not just taking immediate, decisive, obvious action is freaking beyond me. And you know what would happen if the general public found out that Bob's Burger Shack, a beloved national burger franchise, was doing this? They would freaking burn every Bob's Burger Shack in town. They would set it on fire and burn it to the ground because generally, as a people, we don't put up with the whole child rape thing very well. So come on, Catholic Church. Get well, it together. I, re- I recognize that you're not advocating church burning. Thank you. I wanted to make but, that Yeah, as, a, as somebody who was raised Catholic, this has been a, a kind of a hard nut for me to swallow for a while now. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, that, you know, you're dealing well, how with... How else can you interpret hard nut to swallow, Steve? <laughs> like a squirrel eating an acorn. It's, uh-huh. I didn't take it the way you... Anyway. But yeah, it's, you know, the, the fact that it was something that's hidden and still... It hasn't really been, from the highest levels, it hasn't been addressed. No, it hasn't. And I mean, they, it, yeah, it should be I've, the holy shit reaction. The yeah. holy shit, what happened? Yeah, and especially, you know, uh, an institution that's supposed to be involved with the well-being and care of its parishioners' souls and livelihood and lives to have so egregiously taken advantage in this way and then shove it under the carpet that's it's it's a terrible yeah, they're, thing they're treating it like it's a like it's a minor tax problem like they have a disagreement about the tax code or something well but no they're well, not even really like patently evil shit happening. they're not even really speaking to it in a legitimate right. no, well, way it's an internal matter so yeah i've, yeah, I've got a problem uh, with it as well I cannot see the other side of that coin. It's like, well, on one hand, we got a bunch of people that are what, raping kids what, and we're protecting them. Well, what other and on side the other of, hand, <laughs> what other hand, man? What other side of the coin is there? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a bad thing that is not being owned up to. So, Yeah, so that's my political rant. No on 16 and um, stop messing with kids. All right, well, uh, let's uh, switch gears and listen to our first featured cut of the evening. This... Uh, See, you fucker, you have you leave me no way to segue out of that shit <laughs> into anything pleasant with your fucking pedophile talk. That's God, you're such a dick. <laughs> this is a pretty good transition right here. This is what it's like. I feel like Casey folks. Kasem, exactly. And what about those pictures I was supposed to see? You don't lead me off with a pedophile story going into a song from a band. <laughs> Should I start with the pedophile thing and then end with the dry Prop 16 thing? Shut the fuck up about it. All right, this tune is ephemeral from Pelican's latest release, What We All Come to Need. Check it out.
All right, and that was Ephemeral from Pelican, and we are here with Larry Herwig, the drummer of the band. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. First beer of the day, starting right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, how did you guys get started? You know, Pelican got started in Chicago. Um, we were doing another band called Tusk at the time, and uh, Laurent and Trevor, who are the guitar players of Pelican, were in that band with me as well, and uh, Laurent was the bass player. Uh, Tusk was like a grindcore, kind of hardcore band that we had been doing for a couple of years. You know, we play locally, but it wasn't any, anything like special or it wasn't really going anywhere. And Laurent wanted to start playing guitar again. So he started writing on the side and uh, he pulled me aside on one, one evening on a Friday night and was just like, hey, I've been writing these riffs on the side. I want to play for you. Tell me what you think. So he played me some songs and I was like, man, those are, those are some seriously good riffs. Like, at practice tomorrow, let's get there early and like, try and piece it together. So we, uh, you know, at Tusk practice, got there early before Trevor and started working on stuff and piecing, piecing songs together. And then when Trevor arrived, we showed him what we wrote. And Trevor was like, man, that's really cool. It's totally different from what we're doing in, in Tusk. So he joined the band like that day, which was like the next day. And um, at the time, we were practicing at my folks' house, you know, this 10 years ago. And uh, my brother was living at home who was also a guitar or bass player and um, he volunteered to play bass because you know, he heard us practicing and knew we needed somebody so that's kind of how it all fell together it was really quick and we practiced together for about a year before we played our first show and the rest is history cool so so why pelican steve doesn't even know this i don't think if i'm reincarnated i want to come back as a pelican i love <laughs> the pelican Pelican is like the, the badass animal. It, you ever see them booming along the surf? They just they're flying effortlessly. They dine on like endless sushi. <laughs> Why do you guys name yourselves Pelican? Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're 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 badass, but they're they're pretty beautiful at the same time. I think you know because we were doing a band that already was called Tusk, which had like an animal theme. I think we wanted to tie in, you know, the theme to the next band just because it was like sharing members. We're sitting around after practice one day just throwing names on and someone said Pelican. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And like, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's anyone called Pelican. I think we actually like looked on the internet, if I remember, to see if anyone else was called Pelican. And we just kind of went with it. I mean, it wasn't really like a long thought out, deep thought about like, oh, you know, the deep meaning of what the Pelican is for the band or whatever. It was just kind of like... You didn't oh, go on a know, vision Pelican. quest and find your spirit animals? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like Pelicans are cool. No, there's no other band called Pelican, and it relates the animal theme to our other band. And like at that point, we just pretty much wanted to have a band name so we could start playing shows. So it was just like it was really quick. You know, it was like we were all sitting around and like made the decision in like two minutes. And uh, and it's funny now, you know, after years being a band Pelican, I have friends who send me videos of like actual Pelicans like attacking people and. (laughs) So it's it's pretty it's pretty entertaining, you know. When pelicans oh. attack, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So, so did you guys set out to be strictly an instrumental act at at the start? No, definitely not. It was just one of those things where we, you know, every week at practice, we're like, who do you, who do you guys want to get this thing? Who do you know? Who who can do vocals? And it was just like just brainstorming, but it was like a half-ass brainstorming. You know, it was just kind of mm-hmm. like we talk about it for a few minutes, and we'd just be like, all right, let's get back to the songs, and. You know, a year went by. We had written like six songs. All of them were pretty long and lengthy. And I remember having a couple of my friends come over to hear to hear us jam. And I was like, "What do you guys think?" And they're like, "Oh, this is really cool as is. You, know, mm-hmm. you guys should just 
play a show and see how it goes. And that's pretty much what we did. We, we booked our first show and played it as an instrumental band. But the whole time we were thinking like when we were writing those songs that we would eventually have a singer, but we were just never really like proactive about getting one. We knew people who could do vocals, but it was kind of like, we didn't want someone that was going to scream or someone who's just going to sing. It was like, we knew the songs had dynamics. So we were like, we knew we needed someone with like a, a vocal range and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a tricky situation. And, you know, luckily I think we were the right band at the right time. You know, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't anyone doing the heavy slow stuff that we were doing like nine years ago. Definitely not in Chicago. I mean, there was a band like Tortoise, you know, but you know, they're more jazzy kind mm. of like an indie rock band and, yeah, well, I, I think it's kind of cool that you guys, it, you have the ability to convey, like, you know, sadness or anger or hope without really, yeah, you yeah. know, spelling it out for the listener. It's like kind of like watching a movie with an ambiguous ending, you know? It's that you sure you could have somebody standing on the stage telling you what to feel during every song, but that where's the challenge in that, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I think that's just the important thing with the, you know, with the songwriting. It's, you know, it's got to have, like, all those things you listed. You know, it's got to kind of be moody and have dynamics and take you places and, and make you feel certain things. There's a lot of times we, we write songs and we just scratch them because they don't have that. And they're just kind of like songs that are there but don't go anywhere, you know what I mean? We'll play songs for for months before we ever, you know, even play them live or, or demo them even, just to make sure we feel really strongly about them and that we think that other people are going to feel really strong with them. Cool. Well, yeah. One of the things I really enjoy about Pelican is that I'm a big fan of, you know, the distorted guitar and just the, the textures yeah. that you guys work with in the songs. To me, that's one of the, the really enjoyable things. It, it's always shifting, it's always changing, and it's really exciting stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, Trevor and Laurent are old friends, and even before we were doing Tusk, they were doing other bands together, you know, and they just they really know how to play off each other and, and play with each other. I know that sounds funny, but um, just as two guitar players, it's like they don't even really have to think about it. It's just almost like second nature at this point because they've been doing it so long. Mm-hmm. It's um, like Steve and I making dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. It's so easy at this point. I know. Second nature. Dick jokes, they just happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, and it's cool because they both have very different personalities. You know, Laurent tends to be more of the heavy, um, riffier songwriter and Trevor, he comes in with a little bit more of the melodic, spacey, atmospheric type uh, guitar playing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you put the two together and then, you know, that's pretty much what Pelican is, you know. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about your releases. So your, your first EP, the Pelican EP, was kind of a, a hand grenade in a way, just a very raw, jagged sort of statement of purpose. Very cool stuff. Uh, Mammoth, uh, just a crushing tune, one of my favorites in your catalog. Awesome. Yeah, it was the first song we ever wrote. Really? Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that, I mean, that was, like I was saying earlier, like when Laurent was showing me riffs, that was one of the first things he showed me. He had been I messing with tunings on his guitar and playing with pedals, and he's like, I think I got this tuning down. And he's like, check this out. And he started playing that chord, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, that is so heavy. Like, we, <laughs> really we have is, to get yeah. in there tomorrow. And like, but this, and it was like, you know, I mean, the song is really simple and it's really basic, but it's, it, I mean, that was the, the purpose of it. It was just to be this like gnarly beast of a song. And I mean, that's why we named it Mammoth. And yeah, absolutely. It's funny. It's the first, 
first song we ever wrote. Oh, that's cool. That was essentially the demo, too. That EP was, we, we self-released that. Silk Screen covers, like, had our friends help. Um, Stanford Parker, who did the recording, was, like, interning at a studio at the time. This is before he even had his own place. Now he's, like, yeah. you know, totally busy making hundreds of records. Absolutely. Anyways, we went in there on a weekend. It was all, like, one take. We did that in, like, two days. It was, like, tracked one day, mixed the next day, done. It was, <laughs> I think we gave Stanford, like, 300 bucks or something. And it was... <laughs> Wow. You know, it, it's funny because and in, in had heard it and they were like, we want to reissue this as a proper like release and EP. So then, you know, that's where it became like the untitled EP and our, you know, our first release. But before that, it was a demo and you can see it on eBay every once in a while. Someone will throw up a copy of the original and it's like this little, you know, chintzy foot sleeve, silk screen face with like our old like mailing address in the back with like a little bit of info. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> we didn't know if anyone was going to want to buy it at the time. So yeah. Well, then in 2003, that was followed by Australasia, which is just that was where you guys kind of started letting the songs out these more sprawling epics, and yep. just some some cool stuff. I mean, your drumming on Drought is amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's a, love that too. Definitely from that era, Night and Day and Drought are I think the two really cool songs on that record. Well, it's funny that that is an album that I can just leave on and listen to the whole thing, especially if I'm like writing or drawing or doing something creative. It's great music yeah. for that. Thank you. So yeah, then, I mean, it was it was a, it was a weird time and it was a, it was a cool time too. You know, that was like when we were starting to kind of make a name for ourselves in Chicago and start to you know play out more and then start playing out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we did the the Untitled EP, that was actually. 2001 it didn't get reissued to 2003 so there was oh, okay. a two-year gap you know between that and australasia so you know by the time we were doing songs like drought you know we had been playing those songs for about two years and like had a little more time to like you said like let the songs sprawl even more and mm-hmm. we really like got lengthy on most of those songs on that record and then in 2005 the fire in our throats will beckon the thaw what a great title yeah, that was our, our winter record. We wrote that in the winter time during the Bush administration. So it was a uh, it was <laughs> a long, hard winter. Right? Title. Well, it's Trevor a- came up with the song. Uh, I mean, the album title, and that was based off of kind of like, oh, we're this instrumental band, but we have things that we have to say because we're not happy with like the current climate, yeah, the nation and whatnot. So that's why it was so long and it had a, had a little more meaning to it. That was like the record we wrote in like. The Dead of Winter. When I think back to that record, it sounds like it almost to me. Well, I think the two things are most notable to me about that release is that that was the record where you guys really mastered the art of the build. That, you know, you you would start out with like a mid-paced riff, and then the songs would get more dramatic and intensify to these huge crescendos. I mean, particularly something like A Last Day of Winter is a prime example of that. And Autumn Into Summer, which I absolutely love. Yeah, no, I, I love those songs, too. And then, yeah. I think Last Day of Winter, especially, is, like, a perfect example of what you're talking about. That was, like, our total, like, build-up crescendo song. Right. Where, like, strip the song down and then build it back up, you know, layering it and layering it. Even with the drums, it was, just like, the same beat, essentially, but it's, mm-hmm. like, you know, taking the cymbals out and bringing them back in. And, yeah, I mean, that totally... And then uh, also March to the Sea. I mean, talk about a monster drumming performance on that one. Dude, I get tired just listening to that song, and you actually play it. 
Yeah, that was, uh, man, you know, when I think back, like, because we, we did an EP version of that song, which is even longer. The EP version's like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, shit. And, oh, God. Yeah, and like the actual drum, like the drums on that is like, it's like 13 minutes long. And that was like essentially like one take. And then we did, when we did the actual album, you know, a few months later, it was kind of the same thing. It was like 11 minutes and... That's when we were still doing records on tape with the whole band playing at once. Mm -hmm. And when I think back to that now, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what were you thinking? You know, like, <laughs> these songs are so long, there's so many parts, and we're trying to lay them down, all four of us playing at the same time to tape. I just, it's funny because a lot of bands don't do that anymore. And uh, it's funny to think back now, you know, it's probably five years ago. But yeah, it's a tricky song. I actually had to relearn it because we just played a couple shows up last month, and we, we played March to the Sea. And I was like, I had to go back and do my homework, like to relearn all those parts, you know, again to, to pull off live. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky song. So then in 2007, you guys came out with City of Echoes, which kind of did the reverse in a way. It seemed like you boiled down or distilled what it was that made Pelican Pelican. So the songs were more intense. Yeah. They were tighter. They were a little heavier. And I didn't think the musicianship yeah. could get tighter, but it absolutely did. Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, that was totally intentional. Post Fire in Our Throats, like, you know, getting into like 2006. I felt like there was this whole wave of bands that were starting to like kind of do the similar like instrumental crescendo rock kind of thing. You know, I was doing this other band at the time too and we did some touring and like just being out and about and, and seeing what was happening like in the scene and whatnot, it was, wow, there's a lot of instrumental bands getting a lot of hype right now and they're all kind of doing the same thing. You know, kind of like the last day of winter thing, you know, like mm -hmm. the slow build up to the big crescendo. And so when we did City of Echoes, we all were very conscious of that. We're like, let's do something different. Like, let's one, be able to do the same record again. And like, two, let's not do what everyone else is doing right now. You know, and like, some people really dug City of Echoes, but some people hated it. And I think that's why they hated it. Was they were just like, oh, this is like totally different from the record before it. But to me, it's a band, you know, in a transitional phase, trying to get into something else and then testing new territory mm -hmm. that we hadn't, we hadn't done before. And uh, yeah, we wanted we wanted to make the song shorter, make make them a little faster at times, you know, kind of get to the point quicker. We were also touring with bands that were playing faster, heavier songs, and they kind of inspired us to like want to shorten the length of our you know previous songs in the mm -hmm. past. So it was a you know it was a, it was important kind of transitional record for us, and I think it got us to this new record right now, which we're all really happy with. Yeah, well, it's like you say, because it seemed like it, with uh, Seed of Echoes, you kind of burned everything extra away. And then yeah. coming into this new album, you could let things breathe a little more. And you're kind of a little more experimental. You've brought in guests to collaborate with. Uh, some pretty yeah, impressive yeah, totally. guests, right? Yeah, you know, it's something we've always wanted to do. We're all big music fans, and we all, you know, we like a ton of bands, and we've made a, a ton of friends just touring and whatnot. And then we were like, It'd be really cool to have some of these guys or girls or whatever come in and contribute to the record. And since we were doing the record in Seattle, we were kind of brainstorming, like, all right, well, who do we know in Seattle? And it was like, well, Ben Varellen lives in Seattle. His amp shop is right below <laughs> Red Room where we're recording. Let's see if Ben wants to play, you know. Aaron Turner from ISIS, who has just moved from L.A. to Seattle. He's going to be in Seattle now. Let's see if, you know, he wants to play on the record. 
you know, Greg Anderson, who lives in LA, but lived in Seattle and was, we knew was going to come up for the recording sessions. We're like, well, shit, let's see if Greg wants to play on a song too, you know? And we were kind of thinking about what songs fit like their personalities, you know? So like the creeper, which we thought was like the slow kind of heavy mm-hmm. stoner jam on the record. We're like, no, if we're going to have Greg play on the record, Greg's got to play on that song. You know, it just, it's got his vibe, you know? And like, we did some touring with Isis and Aaron was doing some really cool stuff with, on guitar with like a, a screwdriver. And we're like, oh, that, that's a really cool trick. And that, that'd be perfect for the song, What We All Come To Need, you know? So mm-hmm. we asked Aaron to play on that song. You know, and, and, and then the vocal thing was, was huge. And that was Al from The Life and Times. He originally lived in Kansas City. He just moved to Chicago that much closer to Laurent Trevor. And we had toured with Life and Times for two weeks back in 2006 and befriended him. So it is all, it all, so all the pieces came together really easily and everyone was really excited to do it. It was really painless too. Like everyone just came in the studio and you know, did their thing. Like, and Ben Varellen, you know, he came in and cranked it out like two hours <laughs> in and out kind of thing. So it, it was fun. You know, and then we did that EP earlier in the year, mm-hmm. Ephemeral, and we had Dylan Carlson come in and play on a song too, which was his song originally, ironically. Oh, cool. So, <laughs> yeah, 2009 was a really cool year. It was a really important year for the band. All right. So, what's next for Pelican? Um, well, we're taking we're taking a little bit of a break. We did the U.S. tour for what we all come and need. We're going to do Europe. We're going to do Australia. We're going to do Japan. It's just kind of on hold at the moment. One of the guys in the band has a family member that's kind of ill, so we have kind of put everything on a brief hiatus. So he gets his family stuff sorted out, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll pick up again once that's done, and uh, just keep writing. We're working on another uh, album for Southern Lord. Uh, hopefully we'll have it out by like 2011. Keep the ball rolling. Is Tusk still and active? You know, it, it, it's funny because we never really officially said if it was done or if it's still going. We, we did a record two years ago. It, it was called The Resisting Dreamer and it yep. was on Tortuga, which is one of the guys at Hydrahead's other label. But uh, anyways, we did that record and we never really we never really did shows on that album. Which, but we, we've been kind of talking about trying to to make that work pelican's been so busy it was just kind of this thing where pelican just kind of took over our lives for the last four years and we kind of put tusk on the back burner but never really said like what the future of tusk would be so the door is still kind of open and i've kind of hinted at trevor you know if you want to write more songs you're like i'm <laughs> i'm willing to keep doing that too so it's kind of our alter ego you know like pelican you know it's our full-time thing and it's kind of moodier but tusk is kind of just like we just do whatever we want. Very kind of a negative vibe. And, <laughs> yeah, it uh, does. And we like that. You know, it's kind of we sure. just do it for ourselves. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, oh well. You know, that's kind of what Tusk always was. Was kind of this weird band doing weird songs just for the sake of being weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, Pelican, we've always been a lot more conscious of a listener. Like, really think about like what people are going to think when they hear the Pelican songs. Where Tusk is kind of like, oh, let's just make this like totally heavy weird song and who cares if people like it so i don't know we'll see it, you know like i said there, there might be another tough record down the road pelican's still kind of the priority at this point but uh sure. we haven't put the kibosh on that yet all right well so speaking of a negative vibe no bone bat interview would be complete without the question what pisses you off man <laughs> when i have to go back to work in between touring um <laughs> oh that is a bummer yeah, because, you know, it's just, it's, it's just like it's like high school, you know. It's like 
it's that feeling of like when you graduate and you're done and you're over it and you're on tour and you're doing this other thing and then it's like oh you have to go back to your job which is like you know I work retail so it's like you're punching the clock making not the best money you know you're you're working customer service with people and it's money but it's like I that I hate that I love doing the band I yeah love you're not playing. doing I what like, you love right I like making a living off the band basically so like when I when we take long breaks, like we're in right now, where I've, I've been back at work for the last two months, that pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you got to do it. You got to make ends meet. And I just keep my eyes on the prize and know that we have stuff on the horizons. And I just have to kind of suck it up and do it, you know. There's a lot of people who don't even have jobs right now, so I'm trying to do yeah, it for sure. Yeah. All right, man. There's other things that piss me off, but you don't want to get into that. That's, <laughs> you know, that's a whole lot. That's a list, and I'll keep you guys on the phone all night. You well, you can bored. you can come back anytime and join us for what pisses us off. Oh yeah, hey, we're about due for <laughs> another on, piss I mean, off episode. That's all we talk about. Dude, I'm a I'm a drummer, man. Like we have we have like the worst tempers. That's everyone knows that. <laughs> we're all temperamental. We get that's why we give everything. you sticks to hit things. I was trying to send out an email this morning. My computer crashed, and I almost spiked it against the wall. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us. And uh, will you care uh, to uh, lead us into our next tune? Yeah. I believe you guys are going to play the um, second single from City of Echoes, which is Lost in the Headlights. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, man. Thanks. Awesome.
Dark, a horror anthology. 14 authors come together to bring you their vision of horror in Dark, a horror anthology. Many of the iconic creatures of horror's history resurface in fresh and innovative ways. Zombies, werewolves, and chupacabras abound. There are plenty of new things to fear as well. A broken world, a myth of the murky depths, and a knife that cuts twice. Whatever your favorite flavor may be, there's an author in these pages that serves it up. Authors include Matt R. Jones, Brian Wolford, Casey Criswell, J.P. Moore, Keith Latch, Sal Cipriano, Desmond Reddick, Sean Keller, Desi Cienti, Cassandra Thomas, Blake M. Petit, Corey Graham, Derek M. Cook, and Steve Wands. Find us at darkhorroranthology.blogspot.com or search on lulu.com. If you dare... Okay, we're back, and that was Lost in the Headlights by Pelican. Thank you, Larry, for the interview. That was really cool and informative. I feel informed. Do you? And I'm yeah, glad you could join me for an interview for once. That was fucking sweet. Yeah, nice, nice of me to show up, huh? It was. So, multimedia triage, dude. Dude, let me tell you. I went to the movie, took my kid to the movie, thinking I was going to see a pretty good movie. I was kind of looking forward to it. I had no idea what I was getting into. How to Train Your Dragon in 3D is one of my favorite movies. I would put it right up there with The Incredibles. Really? That movie kicked so much ass. It was so well done. The 3D was great. Oh, yes. you got to go see How to Train Your Dragon and see it in 3D if you can because it's very, very good. I'm hearing... And then on the other end, I saw Clash of the Titans in 2D, thank God, which was an absolute train wreck. Really? Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I was expecting kind of a cheesy bad movie, and it was worse than that. The more I think about it, the more it sucked. The best part of that movie was the previews. Oh, that's too bad. And the Medusa. They had a really good Medusa. Big snaky Medusa fight scene. I was really into that. The giant scorpions were kind of cool. I heard the Pegasi were pretty badass. Eh. Yeah? Horsies. <laughs> what about the Kraken? No. Nah, Kraken was subpar. Was there any Bubo? No. What? I, people, if you're going to make a movie, you have to have breasts in it. I Not, just, no, I think no, that no, be... Bubo, the electric owl. Oh, yeah, there, there was that. <laughs> but they only pulled him out of a basket and said, what, what's this? And then one other guy said, oh, ignore that. And he threw him back in the basket. It, Literally, so it was just that like, was it. So it was just, it was just like a little, uh, a little homage? <laughs> it was a little homage, yes. Okay. Huh, interesting. on the prairie. But yeah, they're probably it's, holding off on the actual boobs so that they wouldn't make you go blind. In 3D, I don't think you could have handled that. Or death. Oh God, or whatever so it is you're going. That. So, uh, speaking of things boob-shaped, I'm reading The Dome still. I'm going to be reading The Dome it, like till next year sometime. <laughs> Stephen King book. Yes. And I'm, I don't know, 300, 400 pages into it now. And here's my question. I'm not giving anything away. The whole premise behind the book, because this force field, this dome. They figure it's actually a sphere that goes underground as well, but it appears around a town, and it traps everyone inside, and it keeps everyone on the outside from coming in. And the military has got this guy inside already, a former military guy, and they're sending him to try to find, you know, give him a mission. What's causing the dome? Why is there the dome? Look around for the dome generator if it's inside the dome. Not once 
in these 400 pages that I've read, has anyone suggested, why don't you go to the exact goddamn center of the dome? It would be pretty easy to figure out where the center is. Why not start looking right there? Because if something is making this big dome force field, you'd think it would be in the middle of it. I don't know. I'm never going to finish this book. I'm going on a couple of business trips. It's too big to take in my briefcase. I'm taking other books. Tune in next month. I'll tell you what happened in the next 100 pages. And speaking of disappointing, yeah, Sharon Jones' new CD. I like Sharon Jones. Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. R&B, very funky lady, good voice. I really like her stuff. But the new one just came out called I Learned the Hard Way. A lot less funk, a lot less rhythm and blues. And it's a lot more like melodic, ballady type stuff. Very saddening to me. I was looking for more things like uh, 100 Days, 100 Nights. I was looking for more things like their cover of This Land is My Land. This one's just not making it for me. And finally, what's been occupying my time far more than it should is the Xbox demo of Blur, the racing game. Hmm. Really fun. Very arcadey great zip around you don't have to be an expert driver like in these like forza i mean it's 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 pretty easy to go really fast great sense of speed even though it's the beta you get 20 cars on the track crashing into each other shooting power up blowing stuff up really no problems with lag or anything it's it's cool i'm i'm liking the blur demo well i know you've been looking for forward to that one for quite some time yeah, now I honestly don't know if it's got if it is a $60 game. I don't know if it's got the staying power if the other things besides the multiplayer stuff that they've released is going to make up for it. I don't know what it's going to be like in single player mode, but hey, the demo is free. You ought to download it, check it out, play online. I will Okay, I'll lose to you, but still it's fun. Well, and it comes out like a week from split second, right? So there's going to be kind of the driving wars in May. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see because I, you know, having played uh, Split Second at PAX, I loved that game. That was fun. So I would be kind of leaning towards that one, I would think. Yeah, I, tr- uh, I tried to download the uh, Split Second demo. I thought it was out, but I did not see it. Hmm. Maybe I was premature again. <laughs> Typical. Well, I finally finished Mass Effect 1 last week. Nice. Awesome game for, and now, I mean, these days it's selling for like 20 bucks. I think I got yeah. 30 hours of gameplay rolling it up my uh, level 50 character to take into Mass Effect 2, and I had a great time. So if anybody hasn't played Mass Effect, get on that. It's cheap, and it's a lot of fun game. It's probably the best science fiction block of you know fluff and history and story that I have seen in a long time. It's just a great world, and I love playing it, so... It's definitely worth it. I uh, just started Mass Effect 2. Uh, it's pretty great so far, so I'll let you know. Uh, the, the kind of running around and shooting gameplay and taking cover, uh, that all that mechanic is a lot smoother in Mass Effect 2 than it was in the first game. So pretty cool so far. I'm enjoying it. What else? Uh, I'm reading uh, Private Wars, which is the last of the Greg, Greg Rucka Queen and Country novels that I didn't get done before my interview at Comic-Con. So uh, I'm really enjoying that. That's a good book. What was that? Sorry, that was me dropping a pen. <laughs> and uh, let's see, oh, the final thing I would review. So this morning, Julie emails, she was sending out a bunch of emails this morning, and she's like, did you hear about this new sandwich at KFC, the Double Down? 
She's emailing you about a sandwich? Yes. Well, she has this idea that, like, I will try anything once, and that's kind of true. But when it comes to fast food stuff, I mean, I used to work at Taco Bell. So I'll try new stuff at Taco Bell. I probably eat at Taco Bell more than any other fast food place. And I don't eat Yeah, but you know what? Taco Bell's not gross. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally uh, we will get Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, we'll go after we take the kids to swimming or something. We'll go get a thing of popcorn chicken. And then Julie and I will make salad wraps at home and put a couple of pieces of chicken in it. And that's pretty much the extent these days of our eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. But they came out with this this new sandwich. And so what it is, it's two deep-fried chicken breasts with bacon and cheese in between them. Holy God. Are you kidding me? No. This is from the same outfit that, that brought brought us the, the bowl of, like, corn and potatoes. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Patton Oswalt's fa- failure bowls, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, so, you know, she's like, Who oh, you've, you've got to try this and review it on the show. So I went down and I got one for lunch. And I, I have to say, having tried it, that basically it does have sort of a history in classic dining. It's basically a chicken cordon bleu. Shut the fuck up. It's what it is. It's it's like what you do. The Kentucky Fried Chicken's sitting around looking, huh, what, what can we do to make a chicken cordon bleu with the shit we have lying around this building? <laughs> <laughs> so they replaced the ham with bacon, and it's basically chicken wrapped around bacon and cheese and deep fried. So, it, you know, that that's, I guess, been a meal that's been around since the 60s in fancy restaurants. And before that, it comes from, like, the roulades of Europe. So, you know, it sort of has a history to it. I wouldn't eat one again. <laughs> I wouldn't eat one at all. It actually, it, it, it didn't it was suck. It was just, it was, it, was, it was too much. It didn't suck, though. It wasn't shitty. Uh, and I kind of like the original recipe, you know, the... the Salt, pepper, and MSG, and whatever the fuck they put yeah, in lemon herbs and spices. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. That whatever it is that they do, it's all right every once in a while. So, I, I, it wasn't terrible, but I wouldn't eat it again. I was shocked to see it was only five hundred and thirty-nine calories for that monstrosity. You know, I mean, you walk out and you the fucking bag weighs like five pounds. The thing is heavy. <laughs> Guess. But you know the, the, the one legitimate like thing wrap, about it wrap is... Wrap a pancake around it and like stick a Snickers bar in the middle. But and it's, then deep it fry was, it again. The one benefit, I guess, is that it's actual like white meat. It's a whole chicken breast. So it's not like fake-ass nugget, you know, beaks and legs and stuff. So, you know, at least you're getting legitimate meat. I don't know. But I, I wouldn't eat it again, but it didn't suck. That's the best I can give you on that. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just... <laughs> I'm queasy. I'm I'm a little I'm a little sick inside. Just <laughs> maybe more than a little. We may have the first live vomiting on a podcast. I doubt that. All right. So yeah, probably uh, not the first. Filthy jokes. Filthy jokes. Filthy jokes. Who's going first? Uh, you can. I can. Okay. So, with a sheep under his arm, a man walks into his bedroom, and he stands in front of his wife. He says, this is the pig I have sex with when you have a headache. His wife looks at him and replies, that's not a pig, that's a sheep. I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) A classic. Thank you. All right, so this farmer goes in half with his friend to buy a bull so he can increase his livestock, right? So So he can what to his livestock? Increase his livestock? Increase the amount of livestock, yes. So a couple of weeks later, the friend comes by to see how his investment's doing. The farmer complains, you know, 
This bull just sits around and eats grass and won't even look at the cows. And the friend says, well, you know what? I, I've heard some good things about this veterinarian. You should have him come down and take a look at the bull. So the following week, the friend returns to see if the vet, you know, did any good, basically. And the farmer is just, he looks delighted. I got to say, man, the bull has just gone wild. He serviced all of the cows, actually broke through the fence, serviced all the neighbor's cows twice. I mean, it's insane. And the Wow, the friend says. Well, what did the vet do to the bull? Well, all he did was he gave him some pills, said the farmer. Well, what kind of pills, asked the friend. I don't know. They sort of taste like peppermint, though. <laughs> See, that's that's a funny joke. That's that's a filthy joke. Funny, filthy. That's what we're looking for. All right. So uh, last episode, we had a contest for toy soldiers. You may recall that. And we still have some codes available. Yeah, and I think I think we're going to get a lot more audience participation this time by not knocking the episode completely off the air shortly after airing it. And, I don't know, maybe uh, also by not uh, losing our phone number. Okay, but, you know, all your criticisms aside here, let's keep in mind that we've had, this will be the fifth straight week we've got a brand new show up. Well, a show. Last week was a rerun, but five weeks of shows, man. That's a lot of bone bat. That's almost like a real podcast. So, yeah, let's have a little props here. You know, occasional mistake can happen. <laughs> Fuck. All right. I guess so, there are worse mistakes you could make. So just uh, send me an email to steve at bonehand.com with the title Man the Guns, and I will send you the free code for an Xbox version of Toy Soldiers right away. Uh, thank you. I'd like to say thank you to Larry, uh, Trevor also, and uh, the band Pelican. That was a great interview, very informative. We really appreciate your time, man, and thanks for the fantastic music. Yeah, man, thanks. Also, thanks to Dave B. from Earsplit and Southern Lord Records for helping make this happen. Check Pelican out at myspace.com slash pelican, southernlord.com, or pick up a CD at an independent music store near you. Our usual bullshit the show phone number, the new show phone number. New, four, improved. <laughs> 425. Extreme phone number. Extreme. 425-296-6557. Uh, that, that's got some nice feng shui to it, doesn't it? It just kind of rolls off the tongue. Four two five two nine six six five five seven. Also, you can, also, you can email us at steve at bonehand.com. I have new content on bonehand.com every Sunday. And every Thursday, a new cartoon up at MightyWombat.com. A new column at Davis Life Magazine once a month or thereabouts. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mighty underscore Wombat. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I am Bonehand. Also, you can join our forums. We can find out the latest news about the Bonebat Film Festival. Uh, tickets on sale now. Pick yours up today. Also, uh, occasional chatting from Gordon and I. Also, uh, we do appreciate reviews on iTunes, votes on Podcast Alley, or even better yet, tell a friend, please. Please tell a friend. Please. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Our closing, Our closing tune tonight, once again, is uh, The Creeper from the album What We All Come to Need by Pelican. I hope you enjoy it. Again, this is Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one.
See, you fucker. This is like Casey Case and bitching. You leave me no way to segue out of that shit <laughs> into anything pleasant. Now, we're up to our long-distance dedication. And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, and here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll need a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's come start again. From coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? Please. See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions. And then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but goddamn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. Now, make it, and I also want to know what happened to the pictures I was supposed to see this week. This is a god last goddamn time. I want somebody to use his fucking brain to not come out of a goddamn record that is uh, that, that's up tempo, and I got to talk about a fucking dog dying.